This is the Institute for Music Leadership. Welcome to another episode of Create, Inspire, Lead. I'm your host, Jeff Dunn. Part of this podcast has always been to have our students at the Eastman School of Music be deeply involved to tell these stories and raise the issues that they are interested in. Today, you'll hear Rachel Smith, an undergraduate viola student, lead the discussion. In addition to her degree and being in the Arts Leadership Certificate Program, Rachel is our production team lead at the IML, assisting on many aspects of this podcast. She eagerly wanted to bring you today's story about Guerrilla Opera. Based in Boston, Massachusetts, Guerrilla Opera presents new experimental works of opera theater. Unlike traditional opera companies, Guerrilla Opera is an ensemble of artists that perform without a conductor or formal music director. This is unusual and distinguishes the company in the field of opera. This practice requires extraordinary awareness and communication skills that can only be honed through consistent practice by a group of artists working together over time. In this episode, Rachel chats with Aliana de la Guardia, artistic director of Guerrilla Opera, and Emily Coe, the composer of Her Alive Undead, which is set to be premiered at the Pau Art Center on May 12, 2023, at 8 p.m. Guerrilla Opera won the Fall 2022 Paul R. Judy Center for Innovation and Research grant from the IML to support the production of this new opera, which is a concert-length media opera about three generations of Asian women in a single family. For more information and to purchase tickets for the performances on May 12th, 13th, or 14th, visit GuerrillaOpera.org. That's spelled G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A Opera.org. From here, I'll turn over this episode to Aliana, Emily, and Rachel. Enjoy. Yeah, well, you know, Guerrilla Opera is interesting because we are, you know, we are new music and we're also a chamber ensemble and we're also an opera ensemble. So we're kind of a kind of a huge amalgamation of all those three things. Yeah, so is everyone who is involved in this particular opera are they all like um normally a part of like the guerrilla opera chamber ensemble or did you like pull some outside people in too a little bit of both so the instrumentalists are regular members of the guerrilla opera chamber ensemble um and the singers are all new because you know this opera requires a cast of all asian and uh, many chinese not many but several chinese speaking um cast members so Mm -hmm. you know for us this was a, a challenge and an opportunity to work with new people and to you know expand our roster a little bit as to who who works with us because we've been uh, a set ensemble for so long you know and once mm-hmm. you're a chamber ensemble and you start working with a certain people you know they just become part of your ensemble and they yeah. just you know you keep working with these people over time which is wonderful because you get to develop uh, a method for working mm-hmm. with an ensemble of people which is very special yeah um, yeah yeah so you also like you were saying Um, you get to kind of develop a a way of working with like Mm -hmm. a certain group of people. And I can imagine 
you also like are developing some pretty like deep artistic relationships as well. Yeah, and that's really what has sustained Guerrilla Opera over the years is our artistic relationships with the people who perform with us mm -hmm. for, you know, the composers who write for us. Um, several of the composers that write for us have written more than one opera. And mm -hmm. we, um, in addition to the performing ensemble, we have a, like a kind of a design ensemble for people who regularly design our shows and a directing ensemble like a kind of roster of directors that mm -hmm. keep coming in and directing our shows in these past years we've had opportunity and here and now in her alive to to work with new directors so that that would be a challenge for us in, a, in another way too is to bring some new some new people into yeah because like you're the ensemble and then if you bring someone who, in who's directing like you kind of have to the entire ensemble has to sort of adapt to like one person's like way of like this is how I want to do this yeah and vice yeah. versa too because we have a way that we rehearse and we have a way that we know it works <laughs> you mm -hmm. know yeah where we get because we're an unconducted ensemble right mm -hmm. so we know how to be on the stage together communicating in order to execute the music in a certain way mm -hmm. and so when a new composer when a new well yes when a new composer comes in they have their method of writing and we have mm -hmm. to figure out how to be able to do that in our performance practice and when a new director comes in they also have their process and we have to figure out how that works in our ensemble but they also have to figure out how their process works in our ensemble yeah you know yeah it's kind of from the first minute it, you, you are already developing a new artistic relationship like from very very early on mm -hmm. yeah so how did emily you can also like pop in if you want to hear like how did this particular artistic relationship like start for this opera well I think for me I think it started a long time ago um I don't know which year it is Aliana but there was a year that I was still a grad student at Brandeis uh that kind of spearheaded a guerrilla opera kind of mini opera showcase thing with the grad students at Brandeis um, and that was when I first started uh, with working with guerrilla opera, just, you know, being the student that like put other students together with guerrilla opera to do something cool. Um, wow, and, that's so cool, though. Yeah, I, I want to say that was 2014, but I don't know for sure. Um, but, you know, some years after that, um, I kind of reached out to guerrilla opera with an idea and asked if they might want to work together. And um, it took several years after that and Guerrilla Opera Aliana reached out and was like, hey, remember that thing we talked about? <laughs> and she was like, do you want to do it? Let's do it. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. That's, so, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so until 2018, I was not the artistic director of Guerrilla Opera. I was the general manager, which was more of like an executive director role mm -hmm. um and then in 2018 I kind of took on the larger role of just like the artistic and general director of the group even though I'm just called the artistic director mm -hmm. and you know immediately we were we were thinking about what what new projects we could develop and mm -hmm. you know um having worked with Emily in that capacity and like so many people knowing Emily from being in the new music scene in in Boston 
for, you know, the many, the years that she was here um, at Brandeis. So it, to me, it seemed like a, a, a kind of winning situation. Wow. That's yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool that it like, it started actually like a really long time ago and then it like flowered into this, I guess, like this yeah. really fantastic new project. <laughs> and it was in 2018 when we started really like talking about ideas for an opera. So, so really it's been five years since we started talking seriously about like, yes, write an opera, let's talk about your ideas and this and that. And they morphed into like this idea. And it's kind of been, you know, for a guerrilla opera, we used to be like, it used to be like, hey, we have some money, write us an opera, we're going to put it on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know because we were a small group and so yeah. when we came by a little bit of money we were just like let's do it like yeah <laughs> no messing around let's go for it yeah and uh, sometimes they yielded great results and sometimes it yielded results where like the opera needs more workshopping and and in the, in this case Emily had like really kind of a nice long period to write the opera we did a we did a musical reading of the score. Emily could hear her whole score and hear the libretto spoken. We had a libretto reading before that. After the mu- reading of the musical score, we workshopped two scenes. So like we were able to kind of maybe see what the opera might look like in some in some ways. Mm-hmm. And um and then after that, Emily had like what, a six or six month period to go back and like revise the libretto and the music in whatever ways uh, she thought was needed from you know what was from the responses we received in the um workshops because they were semi-open and we had people uh there that were able to give feedback and so this you know this whole process has been um I would say very collaborative and you know, with, with a lot of, like a lot of encouragement. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't think I I've ever like realized that's such an interesting point. The process for even putting on an opera, a new opera is going to be completely different than like doing something that's already been done before. Like, that's so interesting that you actually, you got together and workshop scenes just to see what it would, what it might be like before you even like started putting the whole thing together that's so cool yeah I, I think that was also really important um because you know the opera unlike a regular chamber work or something it's longer there is a narrative and sometimes when you're working on it uh it's not super clear to you at that moment what the larger picture is mm-hmm. uh, and for me with this I thought the uh workshop was really really eye-opening um because all the things I thought was going to happen, um, happened, but was also really difficult uh, for for the musicians and for the cast members. And at the end of it, I was like, man, all this is supposed to be off book at the end mm-hmm. of the day. And I really went back in there to try to uh, make sure all my time signature changes were absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, some of the pitches that the singers were coming in on were relatable to what's happening in the ensemble mm-hmm. it wasn't completely like that in the first version uh some of the larger changes were also like completely changed the end of the opera um and also changed some of the uh orderings of scenes uh so that there was a larger dramatic arc to everything so mm-hmm. you know 
to me, the workshop and those workshop recordings and experience working with people there was critical to to how this opera came out. Because if not for that, I think, you know, the opera would be a very different uh, work. And I, I would think a very different in a not so good way work. So I'm so glad that we had that workshopping experience. It was incredible. Wow. Wow. So so you went, you did a workshop and so you did you make, you made recordings and then you said there was also like people there who could give you feedback. Like what kind of, what kind of people did you bring in? Yeah. So we invited like friends from the industry in Boston, friends from within Guerrilla Opera, mm-hmm. maybe some ensemble members that weren't playing in this opera. We, we invited, um, you know, there were some, funders that I invited, you know, people who are program managers for grants, people, you know, who had stake in the AAPI community mm-hmm. in Boston, you know, uh, uh, the POW Art Center, who are now our co-producers for this. Um, I think were, uh, I think they were like skeptical at first. <laughs> Maybe because I'm a gringa and I was like pitching them this, you know, <laughs> but they, they seemed a little like, I don't know, I don't know. And then, you know, they sent their representatives to the show and to the workshops and mm-hmm. decided they really loved it. And, you know, I think that's a benefit of workshops, too, where you can invite potential co-presenters and say, you know, see what we're working on. Just like see it, experience it. If yeah. you like it, let's talk, you know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad for this because, you know, the Power Arts Center have been like really amazing and generous mm-hmm. collaborators. And they are really the community that this opera is written for, you know, mm-hmm. that this opera represents and it's it's their community's point of view. And, you know, it was important for me to get Emily's piece in front mm-hmm. of the community for which it belongs, you know, to which it belongs. So, yeah. So I wanted to ask, you talked about how the workshops and the first, the very first in-person stuff that you did kind of helped uh, like move the product from like the early stages until the finished stages. And then that was like a critical, a critical step of the process. So what was the conceptualizing process like the very beginning of it? Like, what did it look like before you were like, oh, there's there's people here and now they're doing this and I'm hearing it and it's like real. And, you know, I, I can see like what the placement is on the stage and and imagine like what what I want my my um my setting to be and things like that. Like, what was it like at the very beginning when you were just sort of imagining things? Yeah. So I've been imagining things for a long, long, long time. Uh, <laughs> uh the the moment where I started really imagining this thing uh, was after actually working with Aliana in 2017. Like Aliana sang a piece of mine and several members of the Gorilla Ensemble was in the ensemble as well. And I was like, holy crap, this is incredible. And that's where I started really thinking about like, I want to write for Gorilla Opera. Um, but before that, I really wanted to write an opera that was kind of representative or of what I was thinking at that mm-hmm. point. And I was obsessed uh, with the question of why are Asian ghosts always women? 
uh, those were my questions. Why are Asian girls always women? And I wanted to think about things intergenerationally uh, because I see a lot of these uh, in my interactions with my mom or my grandmother. And mm -hmm. it's all very different because I am both second generation when my family is in Singapore and also like, you know, an, a new immigrant in the U.S. And I mm -hmm. see things from multiple different perspectives. Uh, and I, I really thought it was interesting to have this kind of scene where different generations of women could talk to one another. So somehow those two ideas came together <laughs> uh, and it became this opera where intergenerational women started speaking with one another when they have passed. Uh, or find themselves in a new space uh, where they normally wouldn't meet. So that was how the ideas came about. Uh, I can't really speak much to staging and like design of the scene and lighting and all of that because, you know, those were ideas from like my other cool collaborators, which mm -hmm. I'm very excited about. <laughs> so this is like, for you, this is uh, a really personal, like where this comes from a really personal place. Mm -hmm. this the whole like story yeah um I mean I I wrote someone else's story I wrote an uh, an opera scene about someone else's story um four generations of women uh during the Korean war up and down you know like grandmother and great-grandmother all the way to like a granddaughter kind of thing um and I, I really enjoyed that because we can talk specifically about women's stories which we don't really hear about or if we hear about is written by a man so mm -hmm. that's yeah also different yeah yeah also like the unique focus I feel like we always talk about the big things that happen but then there's like there's so many so many different groups of people and so many different situations that are like smaller because it's just you know it's a smaller group of people and we don't know about what's happening there at all like a lot of people can't even like imagine what it's like to like live in a place that's not their own country you know so this is like I think it's very interesting that um you can bring a really unique story with a really unique perspective like into uh into like an artistic production I think that's really cool I think for me what was really attractive about this is also that you know I'm a first generation um American and my parents immigrated mm -hmm. here as children um like older children my dad and his tweens and my mom in her late teens and you know I think that a lot of this the idea of like growing up in a more liberal western society within a like a conservative immigrant family was very attractive to me because that was very personal and it you know I think that that is something that you know first generation children of immigrants to this country particularly immigrants of color are um that they feel and mm -hmm. um understand and respond to um and I think that that is that is across various ethnicities right yeah, many yeah. ethnicities yeah um that's like a multicultural phenomenon that mm -hmm. we all experience as you know the children of immigrants that are growing up here in the states mm -hmm. you know this push and pull between really conservative values um particularly like 
social and fiscal values, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? As, yeah. as well as like growing up in this kind of like more liberal, uh, more liberal culture with our friends and especially we that are artists, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, what, what attracted me to this story is, you know, it's actually not that it's culturally specific, but actually that it's, it is a multicultural thing, you mm-hmm. know, it just happens to be from a perspective that I think in in mainstream, we don't see very often, like we don't see the API perspective of immigration. It's always generally through historically people mm-hmm. that have come through Ellis Island, right? That's like the American story of immigration. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially on the East Coast. And we yeah. don't even really hear about the, the sister island from mm-hmm. uh, from the west coast which yeah. is actually where a lot of asian people have come through to come to this mm-hmm. country which is the west coast and hey, right. um, yeah. you know so for me this this was an important story to tell yeah yeah that's yeah this is yes yeah, really, this is really cool L- like i said the cool thing is that these these perspectives that you kind of share in this opera are not perspectives that people hear a lot and so it's it's different and it gives it's going to give people opportunities to sort of have a glimpse into something that they may not even have thought about before so since you have brought in some people that are not normally part of your ensemble like where did you where did you look for for performers well i mean nina guo is the um, soprano that's playing her too. Mm-hmm. And she has been um, kind of on Guerrilla Opera's wish list for a long time because oh. she is a really well-established new music soprano um, and also just a really interesting, versatile performer. I think at the time we were about to work with her, she had like just moved to Germany. <laughs> it was like, oh it, just, my gosh. it just didn't work out. It just didn't work out. And it was for another a different project many years ago Mm -hmm. and we brought her in for a workshop and it just didn't work out and so for us that was a bummer and then she moved away and that was a huge bummer (laughs) that was another big bummer so we're we're really super happy to have Nina in for this um you know and and playing her too um Sol Kim Sol Kim actually came in for some auditions we had for this particular show, but Sol has also been performing in the Boston area for many years and is a well-established performer here. So we're really happy to have her um, playing the lead role of her one. Mm-hmm. Jeanette Lee is currently my development and marketing coordinator, but also I heard her around this time last year or November of la- November of 2021 or something like that because I was adjudicating around in a vocal competition for NATS the National Association of Teachers of Singing and so I heard Jeanette there you know the world is always in need of good mezzo-sopranos oh yes <laughs> and Jeanette just happens oh, yes. to be one <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're very happy to have Jeanette who has been you know a really uh strong proponent of this opera not just because she's in it because she you know she she respects and identifies with its subject mm-hmm. and Jayin also uh our baritone came in for auditions and um is I think one of the more junior members in our cast 
Um, but really just did so well in his audition and really impressed me, especially with the spoken dialogue. Mm -hmm. And because we had people speak, because there's a lot of spoken dialogue in this opera. So our audition was kind of like multi-tiered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not so much that it would like overwhelm a person, mm -hmm. but we just, we needed to see how they could read and how yeah. they could present dialogue. And we also needed to see how they could sing. And we also needed to see if they could prepare a score. So we, we gave them... Uh, a section of a score, not from Emily's score, but from another opera that we had commissioned a long time ago. And it was kind of a hard, <laughs> it was kind of a hard section where they would have to, they had to prepare, you know, shifting meters and um, odd meters and different things like that. Mm -hmm. And we just, you know, just 10 bars, you know, and our reasoning is, you know, if they could prepare 10 bars of a really hard score, they can prepare a full score of a like medium hard score yeah you know <laughs> because this is opera yeah, right like yeah. why are you gonna write this kind of like crazy score you know the singers are on stage and they're off book and they're like naked out there and you yeah. know you need to write a score that helps the singer right <laughs> yeah yeah that's that is so that's so interesting like as an instrumentalist, uh, I I I play quite I play as much new music as I can here at Eastman. We have like a new music ensemble that um, I'm a part of like regularly. But yeah, this this the stuff is crazy. It's absolutely it's absolutely crazy. And I we haven't ever done anything with singers like at least not in the um, maybe a year and a half. I've been in this ensemble and we've never done anything with singers. But I've always wondered like what 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 would it be like. <laughs> <laughs> so to give a singer something like something that was I don't know I guess the the way that it's different would is different for singers than it is for like instrumentalists like I don't know what kind of like techniques that are new music techniques for singers yeah well I mean I think uh as far as you know extended techniques for a singer, like anything that's not conventional classical singing is an extended technique. <laughs> <laughs> make noise, make noise with voice. <laughs> any, you know, any noise singing, you know, singing in like a different style, singing in or, or speaking or making a kind of click noise or anything like that. Like that's an extended technique, something that's not um, ubiquitous to yeah traditional bel canto singing mm -hmm. right so what kind of have you gotten any personal feedback from any of the performers like how they how they're kind of like integrating themselves like into this this new project like how do they feel <laughs> uh i i haven't heard anything crazy or bad but i've heard that some of the parts are uh, a little loud and, you know, we might figure that out closer to when we get to the venue because mm -hmm. every space we work in is slightly different. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the counting is tricky. That's kind of to be expected, I think. Uh, but yeah, I haven't heard any like, this is not really possible to do just yet. We'll see. <laughs> Where's the venue of the premiere? <laughs> so the Powell Arts Center is um, situated kind of at the heart of Chinatown, Boston. 
Oh, and okay. Um, okay. the room that we are performing in is kind of a multifunctional performance space. So when you walk into the space, it does not look like a traditional theater. It actually just looks like a quite a large kind of conference room. But um, what our creative team is doing is they are turning that conference room into this sort of like waiting area in this purgatory space where the um, characters, the two main characters meet. And a lot of this opera really does just take place in a room. So mm-hmm. even the flashbacks are in one room. And so the space works out really well for us and it will be a very intimate, um, very intimate, a little bit visceral performance, I think. That sounds really cool. So is like, is the, is it still like a, like a situation where you have like the performers and then the audience, how you would normally have a setup? Yeah. So it still is a proscenium show, mm-hmm. uh, except the proscenium is quite long. So you can think of this, the room is like kind of a rectangle and, um, you know, half of that rectangle will be the performance space, the rectangle long ways. Mm -hmm. And so half of that rectangle will be performance space and the other half of that rectangle will be, you know, audience space. Wow. Half and half. That is interesting. Yeah. That is interesting to picture. Okay. So when is, when is premiere? When is premiere time? So this opera runs the 12th through the 14th. Um, If this podcast goes out, before then, then I would highly, highly recommend anyone traveling to the Boston area to get tickets quick because we, it is, a, like I said, it is an intimate venue. Seating is limited. Um, we have not talked about adding performances, so you got to get in there. Today's episode was hosted by Rachel Smith. The episode was produced by Rachel Smith and Kelly Judson. The music was written and produced by Stephen Bigner, Alexa Silverman, and myself. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us via our website at iml.esm.rochester.edu. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues and leave us a review on your preferred streaming platform. This podcast is a production of the Institute for Music Leadership at the Eastman School of Music. The views expressed in this podcast are the interviewees and do not represent the Eastman School of Music or the Institute for Music Leadership. From the IML, I'm Jeff Dunn. See you next time 